if you're, if you're skeptical of the Easter story this morning, you could have been a character in the Easter story that very first morning. Whether you're a skeptic this morning or you've been working on your salvation for a long time, we are glad that you're here. Did you ever notice, if you ever read the Easter story, heard about the Easter story, did you ever notice that on that very first Easter, every single person who met Jesus was a skeptic? Every single one. But by the end of that first day, all but one of them the only one who hadn't seen Jesus that morning believed. And just like those very first Christians, you may be skeptical too. Some of you might be skeptical of, of Easter. Am I supposed to worship the Easter bunny or Jesus? I'm not really sure. Some of you may be skeptical of Jesus. Did he really exist? Did he really rise from the dead? And, and honestly, some of you this morning might be skeptical of us. Church people are a little scary sometimes. And we get that, okay? But this is a great place for you to kick off or continue your faith journey. And so we are so glad that you're here. If you are skeptical this morning, whether that's of us or of Jesus or anything else, I hope that you see Jesus plainly today and that you open the door of your heart and let him in. I hope that while you may have come in this morning with a little fear, not understanding or, or not sure of what you'd see, I hope that when you leave here this morning, you leave with faith. In fact, that's the hope of every single person you met today from the parking lot to the pastor. We showed up early this morning. We got things set up. We prayed for you because we want you to experience real life in Jesus today. So we're going to take a look at the eyewitness account of that first Easter from a guy named John. And John wasn't just a follower of Jesus like all the rest. John was actually one of Jesus' very best friends. And even John didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the, from the dead. In fact, that very first Easter morning, the first people who saw Jesus was a group of women. They'd actually gone to the tomb to put more spices on his body because um, that's just what they did. It's a little weird. It's a little gross. I get that. But that's what they did back then. When they got there, they saw Jesus and they were skeptical that it was him. But once he talked to them, they began to believe. And they went back to the disciples and they told them that they had seen Jesus and that he'd spoke to them. Well, the disciples didn't believe it. Peter and John took off and they ran to the tomb. And when they got there and went inside and looked, they saw the cloths that had been wrapped around Jesus' body laying on the slab inside the tomb, but they didn't believe. Later that morning, two of Jesus' followers were, were leaving Jerusalem. They were just getting out of town. And Jesus came and walked with them and talked with them. For hours they spent with him, and they didn't recognize him as Jesus. That all happened on the very first Easter morning. We're going to look at what John says happened later that evening. And so we're going to be in John chapter 20 this morning, and you can uh, follow along with that a couple ways. You can uh, go to the website, reallifecc.us, scroll to the My Message Notes link, click on that, and you can follow along. All the scriptures that I'm referencing today are going to be in there. 
You can also pull out your phone or your tablet or whatever and follow along that way in John chapter 20. Even if you have a paper Bible, I know right now you can't see, um, but the lights will come on and you'll be able to if you have a paper Bible. Voila! Okay, amazing how that works. Um, Okay, so you can follow along that way. And if you're like, that all sounds like too much work, just sit in your seats because it'll be up on the screen behind me. Okay, John chapter 20 is where we're at. On the evening of that first day of the week, so this is Sunday, Jesus rose that morning, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord, and again Jesus said, peace be with you. The disciples, all except for that guy named Thomas, were together in the room with the door locked. And I don't know about you, but when I read that story, I think that's odd. Why did he take the time to mention that the door was locked? I mean, if I'm telling the story, I'm like, hey, this guy who I saw die, and I stuck him in a tomb and rolled a stone in front of it, is alive, and he's talking to us. That seems like the highlight of that clip, right? But John takes a moment to say, the door was locked. Why in the world did he say that? Who even cares that the door was locked? Well, John said it, so it must be important for some reason, right? So I'm thinking to myself this week, why do we lock doors? And I came up with a comprehensive list of why we lock doors. Really, there's only three reasons that we lock doors. So it's the top three reasons why we lock doors. Here's the list. I hope you're ready. Something to write with. Take notes on. We lock doors to keep people out. Right? We lock doors to keep people out of our homes bad people, people who we think might want to hurt us, and people we think might want to convert us. Uh, We've probably all played the quiet game, right? When the JWs or the Mormons show up on Saturday morning, and mom goes, everybody be quiet and hide. I know you've done that. We do that. We lock the doors to keep people out, right? We lock the doors at night so people don't come in that we don't want to come in. We also lock the doors to keep our possessions, the stuff that we love and we want, in. Now, maybe you have a dog and you love your dog and so you want to keep the door locked so the dog doesn't get out. If you have a cat, leave the door open because nobody cares about cats. Now... (laughs) It's a 50-50, you got to take the risk. Okay, <clears throat> now maybe you're a parent and, and, and you're like Andy and I. There were a couple years where our son Trent like didn't sleep, maybe two or three hours each night. And so we took turns laying on the couch all night long because we were afraid he'd come out of his room, go out the door, and we'd never find him again. And so we lock the door sometimes to keep the stuff that we want to keep inside. But if you're a parent this morning, you probably know that the very top reason that we lock the doors is to keep private things private. I'm going to be real careful with this one. But if you're a parent, you know. I'm just going to say, lock the door. Okay? Lock the door. From experience, eh, lock the door. Protect your privacy and your child's psyche. Okay? I'm just saying, 
Just be careful. Just lock the door. Okay, not a big deal. So the disciples, they, Jesus has come in. They're his most trusted followers. And they're in a room with the door locked because they were trying to keep people out. Jesus, their leader, had just been killed. And they were pretty sure that the same people that were after the life of Jesus were going to be coming for them next. And so they locked the door. But that didn't stop Jesus, right? With the door locked, John said, Jesus came and stood among them. And he showed them his hands and his side. And when they saw, they believed. And then they told Thomas, right? And we don't really know when that happened. Maybe it was Monday or or Tuesday or something. The next time Thomas shows up, they go, Thomas, dude, you missed it. Jesus was here and we talked to him. We saw his hands. We saw his side. He's alive. And, And what does Thomas say? Look at the next few verses. He said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands. Now, and I get this, but you got to know how far Thomas is going. Look. If I see the nail marks in his hands, that wasn't good enough for Thomas. He says, I got to put my finger where the nails were. And I got to put my hand in his side. And until then, I will not believe. Like, wow, Thomas, you're being pretty brave, right? This is Jesus. Remember all the times he healed people and he raised them from the dead? But look what happens in verse 26. It says that a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. And then he looks at Thomas. You ever been in a group of people and your mom looks at you with that look? You know how you feel in that moment? Like, I think that's probably how Thomas felt. He says to everybody, peace be with you. And then he looks right at Thomas. Look, I get, sometimes people complain. Um, uh, Some of times you come and complain to me, go, Corey, I wish you wouldn't look at me while you're preaching. Because I think you're just talking to me. I'm just looking around, okay? I'm not looking at anybody and go, oh yeah, I'm talking to you. Okay, that's, that's not what I do. I just look around because I want to have a conversation with you, okay? But Jesus is looking around the room, and then he looks at Thomas. He looks right at Thomas, and he says to Thomas, I, you, Thomas had to know it was coming. He's like, oh, man. He says, put your finger here. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. That morning, Easter morning, the women couldn't believe their eyes. Peter and John ran to the tomb, but they didn't trust what they saw. The two men on the road with Jesus had a conversation with him, but they felt no conviction. Thomas heard the account from all of his best buds that Jesus was in the room, but he couldn't accept it. The skeptics on that first Easter morning are important to us because their reaction to the evidence of the living Jesus helps us see an important truth about how we process information. Not just spiritual information, but all the information in our lives. And so I've kind of tried to break it down and shrink it down into this one statement. You can't believe what you won't behold. You can't believe what you won't Behold, there are things in our lives that we just refuse to believe. 
Things that we just say, nope, not going to believe it. I'm not going to go there. The, the first few stages of grief are anger and denial and bargaining and depression. None of those stages are pleasant. But we move through them in part because we're unwilling or unable to accept what has occurred, whether that's a death or a diagnosis or a breakup. And so if we're unwilling to see it, we're unable to surrender to it. So whoever you are, and whatever your bent is, politically, socially, spiritually, if you refuse to look at the evidence, you'll never be able to accept the truth. The Jews and the Roman guards saw Jesus die. The guards and Jesus' followers saw them put Jesus in the tomb, and they also saw the tomb empty. The disciples and then the followers, and then 500 people saw Jesus alive. Now i got to tell you, if the leader of your religious group claims to have died and risen from the, from the, the grave, that's a big deal. And there were people in that first century, in the time of Jesus, who wanted to keep Jesus in the tomb. There were spiritual leaders and political leaders who wanted to keep Jesus dead, but there is no other narrative except the empty tomb. Jesus was arguably the most important person to ever live. Time itself is marked by his birth, but no one has ever come forward and said, he's not alive, I know where he's buried. And look, if the greatest leader of all time dies, we're going to know where he's buried. Today there are four main religions in the world. They're all based on the teachings of powerful personalities. They have a lot in common, both morally and ethically, but only Christianity claims an empty tomb and a risen Savior. Only Christianity. In 1900 B.C., Judaism's founder Abraham died, and you can visit his tomb today in Hebron. In 484 B.C., Buddhist writings tell us that Buddha died, and here's how they say it, and I'll quote this, with that utter passing away in which nothing whatsoever remains behind. That's pretty final, isn't it? The ashes of Buddha are kept in a Sri Lankan temple, but will soon be moved to India. On June 6th, 732 A.D., the prophet Muhammad died. And hundreds of thousands of followers visit his tomb annually in Medina. They pray at the mosque of the prophet where Muhammad is buried, which is built on the spot where he died 1,400 years ago. And in 33 A.D., Jesus died. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, and that tomb is still empty today. No bones, no ashes. On the third day, he rose from the dead and appeared to many people, both people who believed him and people who didn't believe in him. We have eyewitness testimonies recorded in the pages of the New Testament and even outside of the Bible that he is alive. Now, none of the people who saw Jesus alive knew how he did it. Nobody knew how he came back from the dead, but they knew him. They knew that he 
was alive. In fact, they were so convinced that Jesus had come back from the dead that they spent the rest of their lives telling everybody who would listen about how this guy named Jesus lived and died and lives again. And 11 of the 12 disciples died because of their faith. They were killed, martyred, because they refused to renounce their faith in Jesus. Now i got to tell you, a lot of us would die for a lot of important things, but none of us would die for a lie. In Jesus. Because the Bible tells me so. That's a great song to sing if you're a kid, but it's not a reason to base your faith on something. I don't believe today because my parents made me. I believe today because if you're able to predict your death and your resurrection, and then you die and come back to life, that's somebody worth following. That's somebody to give your life to. That's somebody to walk with throughout your life. Today, I don't think you need to take a blind leap of faith like is so often associated with Christianity. I believe that Jesus is alive. In fact, if you remember nothing else from this morning, I want you to hold this in your mind because it'll save you both spiritually and in a lot of different areas in your life. Listen to this. Blind faith in every other context is called foolishness. That's how we refer to it. In any other situation in your life, if you practice blind faith, that's called foolishness. Let me give you a few examples. If you buy a new car because you believe that the next time the lottery comes around, you're going to win, that's foolish. If you marry somebody who has cheated on you in the past, that's probably foolish. If the deposed king of Wakanda emails you, and says he's going to give you $100,000 if you set up an account for him in the States, that's foolish. But if you recognize the overwhelming evidence for the living Savior, and you trust him because he's proved himself, that's called faith. And that faith rests on a firm foundation. You know, as believers, we don't take a leap of faith to test Jesus. We jump because we already trust Jesus. Maybe you're ready today to believe. Maybe you're on the edge. Maybe you're right there, but you're worried because you know the kind of life that you've lived. You know that maybe you don't know everything that Jesus wants you to do in your life, but you're pretty sure that you've done some things he doesn't want you to do in your life. And you're worried. And I get that. And we go, but what, what, if, I, what if I believe and then there's, there's problems, you know? What if I believe and then there's struggles there? Look at this. Jesus told his disciples that he was going to die. And three days later, he was going to come back to life. And none of them. These guys who spent three and a half years with him, they watched him perform miracles. They watched him raise people back from the dead. They knew him. And he said, three days later, I'm going to come back. And yet not one of them believed him. And instead of trusting what he told them, they went into a room and they locked the door. But when Jesus shows up among them, He didn't punish them for their lack of faith. 
He didn't punish them for the failures that they had in their life. Instead, he offered them peace. In fact, John, in those few verses that we read, said, peace be with you three times. And Jesus wants to offer that same peace to you today. Did you know that in every story Jesus tells in the Bible, where somebody betrays him, somebody rejects him, or somebody sins against him, do you know what his response is? Every time his response is peace. Now I know that if I disobeyed my parents, there was going to be peace, but only after significant punishment, right? Like I knew we were going to get back to, it was going to be okay, and we were, it was going to be all right, but punishment was going to come first. But Jesus always offers peace to those of us who deserve punishment. And it's pretty easy, honestly, to receive that peace. That first Easter evening, Jesus appeared among them in a locked room to show that physical boundaries could not contain him. But he won't just come in past the door of your heart. Jesus said, here I am. I stand at the door and knock, and if you'll open the door, if you'll hear my voice, I'll come in. So I just got to ask, do you hear the voice of God today? I want to look at the last thing Jesus said to Thomas after he let Thomas examine his hands and his side. He said to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. There's enough evidence for you. There's enough to show you. There's enough to put your faith and trust in him stop doubting and believe and then Jesus spoke through time and space to you and me when he said blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe now I haven't seen Jesus with my eyes but I've seen enough evidence to give my life to him there's enough evidence for you to believe there's no fear because Jesus has promised peace in place of punishment. And there's only one thing for you to do today. And that's open the door of your heart and let him in. And I want to tell you how to do that. The Bible gives us a way. It lays it out for us. And the first thing that it tells us to do is believe that Jesus is the son of the living God. Secondly, it tells us to repent of our sin. You know, the stuff in your life that deserves punishment, even though he's promised us peace. The word repent just means to change direction. And so you know if you've been going in a direction that, that not, is not the way that God would have you go. And to repent just means that you change that. You start following him. Then the Bible tells us to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And that just means that you tell somebody. You tell somebody like us here at, at real life. In fact, we want to know if you've made that decision, and we're going to tell you how to let us know in just a minute. Finally, the Bible says, be baptized with water in the name of Jesus because he rose from the dead. Now, we're having some technical problems, but if you go to that My Message Notes online, you can see that spelled out so you don't forget it, Okay. You can't believe what you won't behold. But if you've looked today, I hope that you've seen Jesus. And I hope that you've heard him. And I hope that you open the door of your heart 
to him. If you have, or if you're ready to, we want to know about it. You can confess your decision to us by going to reallifecc.us, clicking on the next steps link, and then on the I have decided link, and filling out the form there. Or, since it's not up on the screen, you can head back to the Connection Hub after service. And our volunteers will be happy to talk with you about your decision and help you take your next step with Jesus. A Muslim in Africa converted to Christianity. That's a dangerous and difficult decision. Even so, he could not keep his faith in Christ to himself. And some of his former friends, alienated former friends, demanded of him, why have you done this? This is how he answered. He said, it's like this. Suppose you were going down a road and suddenly the road forked in two directions. You didn't know which direction to go, and there in the fork were two men, one dead and one alive. Which one would you ask to show you the way? Our goal as a church is to help every person possible find real life in Jesus and look more like Him every day. If you think you might like to join us on that journey, I want to invite you to Coffee with Corey next Sunday evening. You can register for that at our website, reallifecc.us, or back at the Connection Hub after service. And I hope that this morning, you haven't just heard me, but you've heard God speak directly to your heart. And if you liked what you saw or heard this morning, I hope you come back next week as we kick off a brand new satirical series called How to Be a Perfect Christian. If you're just starting in your walk of faith or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, this is going to be a fun way to look at how God wants us to live. We want you to know this morning, regardless of what else you get, we want you to know that you matter to God and so you matter to us. We love you. We've prayed for you. We're so glad that you joined us this morning, and we hope we get to see you again. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for the the risen Savior. I thank you for the empty tomb. I, I thank you that we don't have to settle for the life we have, but we can enjoy the life that you want to give to us, a real life full of hope and full of freedom and, and full of love. God, you've called us to so much more. And today, I just pray that there'll be some who will open their hearts to you, maybe for the first time. Maybe open their hearts again after a long time away. And God, I hope that you begin to change their lives from the inside out and that we get to be a part of that. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. And we pray all of this in the name of the risen Savior. Amen.